Welcome to the WAVE podcast, Women Living with HIV, Advocates, Voices, Empowered. The WAVE is a series of podcasts by and for women living with HIV around the world, talking about our sexual and reproductive health and rights. Hello, this is Fiona Hale at The Wave Podcast. I'm speaking to Lucy Wanjikun-Jenga from Kenya. Lucy, could you just introduce yourself? Hello, Fiona. Thank you for having me. My name is Lucy Wanjikun-Jenga from Kenya, Nairobi. I work with Positive Young Women Voices, which is a community-based organization that works to empower adults and girls and young women to live their fullest potential. I'm happy to be in London. I'm happy to be here again for the Fast Track Cities conference that is happening currently. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happened in Kenya with the antiretroviral dolutegravir? So in 2018, uh, dolutegravir was introduced into the country and uh, I myself was very excited to be put on it because of all the benefits that came with it, um, like lesser side effects, uh, lower chances of building resistance to the drug and so many other factors, including having a smaller size of the drug. And I was looking forward to it and I had gone around telling other people that dolutegravir is coming. It was being introduced in conferences and most people were really looking forward to it but around march there was um, a restriction from uh, who that saw women in reproductive age so that is 15 years to 49 years were restricted to be put on dolutegravir because there were fears from our botswana study that showed women in reproductive age would give birth to children with neural tube defects if they were on dtg lucy when you say restricted mm-hmm. what do you mean by that for us, it felt, uh, as a young woman or as myself, I felt this was a ban. This was a ban that was put on us getting access to to dolutegravir, which by then oh, still is the best drug we have now uh, as an ARV in Kenya, in Africa. And when this restriction came out, um, which was more of a ban, it, it saw to it that I, myself, and other women in Kenya and in Africa would not be able to access this based on our reproductive age. You spoke to The Wave um, a few months ago when the restriction was still in operation. Can you just fill us in on what's happened now and what's the current status? It was a real, real struggle and more of a fight for women um, in Africa. We had to come together in Kenya and we had to speak in one voice and say we were more than just that. We were more than just mothers. We were more than just the potential to give birth. And it was not easy because uh, our government through NASCOP did not listen to us. They had not consulted us before they gave the directive to put every woman who was on DTG back to the previous regiment, or if you were to be transited to DTG, that would not happen. No consultation whatsoever was done, and it it just felt like a violation. After some time with all this fighting, all the way from Kenya, all the way to the national, to the global uh, platforms, we were listened to, and the, and the study also 
although the results have not been shared, I think further study showed that DTG was safe to use, which was more of our message than like DTG is safe. Just don't put a scare because it was more of a scare. Uh, I remember the director then of NASCOP uh, had mentioned that if <laughs> if you're on DTG, you're likely to give birth to a child with uh, without a head or with a hole in their heart. I think that was just too much of a scare like you don't you don't get to communicate to people like that communicate to them tell them this is what can happen and tell it truthfully doesn't mean that every woman in that study that happened in Botswana gave birth to a child with neural tube defects so give people the facts tell them this is what can happen but by the end of the day it's your choice for us you are crying for choice not for scare and to to tell the truth really and let a woman choose so we did get that the ban was lifted and now women can access DTG. We still have issues uh, in different parts because the message was given out as a scare and reversing people from a scare and telling them now this is okay to use, it's kind of hard. It's not as easy as giving the first message out. We also asked them like how they would reverse that and they just thought it was as easy as issuing a statement with that phrase of it's now safe, but it doesn't work that way. And you see women uh, sometimes saying they would rather just stay on the regimen they are in. And now it's more of a challenge because they want to transition children also to DTG. And that could come with a lot, a lot of questions. If it was not safe for mothers, how will it now be safe for children? But what I can say, I'm very happy with where we are now. Uh, I was given DTG finally. I had a long one hour conversation with my um with my doctor and she still said no. Uh so until WHO themselves um signed on and said now this is safe it's safe to give DTG to women, I was still not on DTG. Most of my friends were but I wasn't. So after Rita I, I was put on DTG. I can say now my life is better. I'm not just saying for the sake of it or because we really fought for this drug, but because I now wake up and I take a drug that does not inhibit my everyday activities. I'm more energetic. I'm not sickly because a would would make me sick. I would take it at night, yes, but I would wake up feeling nauseous, like I'm pregnant or I don't know what, you know, like things that would make my morning... Um, all jammed up and would affect the rest of my day. Now I wake up, I take a drug that I don't really have to think of so much that does not uh, inhibit any of my activities or my moods or anything like that. So I'm very happy that we now have DTG. The WHO Consolidated Guidelines on the Sexual and Reproductive Health and Rights of Women Living with HIV, they were based on a big global values and preferences survey with women living with HIV around the world. And some of the priority issues that came out from that were, one of them was ongoing issues with treatment side effects. There was also mental health and there was violence. How do you see the WHO consolidated guidelines as relating to this process that you've been involved in to try and overturn the restrictions on DTG in Kenya? I think the guidelines um, mention how important it is to have women at the center. If a guideline or a policy or, or a statement is being issued that affects women, it needs to have women at the center. 
and also giving them choice uh, when they have when they can make the choice it's like they have power in their hands and when it really is about them uh, then giving them choice show that it's really about them i mean one of the issues mm-hmm. with dtg was access to contraception wasn't it that mm-hmm. was one of the linked issues mm-hmm. could mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about how that plays out in kenya so I, I remember uh, towards the last days before WHO approved um, that DTG was still for women, uh, there was this conversation where um, doctors would tell their their clients to prove that they were on, on uh, effective contraceptive. So effective contraceptive for them meant having your womb removed or having uh, your tubes tied. Like those were the two effective measures of contraceptive to them which is very weird because we have many other ranges of contraceptive this also brought about uh things that we have already fought like co-sterilization that happened in the past uh and kenya being one of the countries that it happened so by the end of the day i think it's choice like um even asking people to be on contraceptive it's not like contraceptive is readily available. Um, you find that in Kenya, we have like limited choices. For me, I always ask, there are so many women in the world, like I think half, half the population of the world are women, but we have like limited choices of contraceptive. I think at most in Kenya, we have five. And um, if there were more choices, then that would be uh, there would be more power given to women because we still have um, many myths and misconceptions around contraceptive and you find that women don't even have the full choice uh, that their spouses have a say in it uh, the way the myths and misconceptions are, are around have a say in it but at the end of the day this woman is more confused and also access and the uh, and how expensive or how cheap the contraceptives are. And there's obviously the issue of um, violence yes. in in the household, yes. which might affect women's yes. access to yes. contraceptives. Yes. Um, attitudes of healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. So you find, other than just uh, the access, um, so I have I have um, an implant on an, uh, a three year uh, contraceptive and when I went for it I was thinking I would pay around five dollars but it turned out it was around twenty dollars I had not budgeted for this and I'm thinking this is this is not cheap because that is around two thousand shillings Kenyan shillings if I'm a woman from the community I come from Dandora two thousand is equivalent to house rent so will you be paying house rent or will you be taking contraceptive or sometimes you go to the facility and the choices are only three injection iud or um, the pills and you're told you can only choose um, from these three and then you probably say you want the iud and you're told um we don't have it at the moment, but you can come next week. So imagine if I'm coming back next week and I'm already pregnant, it beats the whole purpose. Because of, of all the of all the myths and misconceptions around contraceptive, men are not eager to have, or partners of, of these women are not eager to have contraceptive for their partners. And if women go behind their backs to have it, then it brings out violence. And these are things that needs to be considered I know many women who are on contraceptive, but it's a secret. 
which should not be the case this is this is a right for every woman to have and we still have a lot of gaps that we need to fill to ensure that women can access contraceptive when they need it when they want it and how they want it for how long they want it and as as cheaply as they can without uh, having to worry what will the spouse say or how will they be treated at the facility if you're a 15 year old girl and you're going to the facility are you able to access contraceptive or will you be chased and told you're too young to even be thinking about sex I work with a lot of young mothers who probably got their first children when they were around 16, 17. This is not an age group that is catered for when they go to the facility. They won't be put on contraceptive even if they're already mothers. So there's some many areas that need to be looked at. And and this is linked to the dolotegraphy yes. restriction. Yes, yes. So if you cannot access if you cannot access um, contraceptive and you're being asked to be on contraceptive for you to be given DTG, it beats the whole purpose. And um, I think that is where we we had a miss when it came to DTG. But I'm happy with where we are now. I mean, this is about access to dolotegraphy. Mm -hmm. This is about women's right to be able to take a drug that has few side effects, is easily tolerated and is effective. It's it's about more than that though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's about women's rights to be involved in these discussions Mm -hmm. and to influence the outcomes of them. Mm -hmm. And the dolotegraphy advocacy brief that Salamander Trust has put out mentions the fact that it is about dolotegraphy, but it's also about other processes mm-hmm. that affect women's mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. It's part of also the, the consolidated guideline that women should be equal partners in research mm-hmm. and in decision making that mm-hmm. affects them. Why do you think that's so important? What do you think women living with HIV contribute to all of these processes? I'm thinking if women living with HIV uh, after the ban just sat and said, oh, this is our flight, or we are so sorry, uh, this is so sad, and didn't do anything about it, then we would still not be having DTG and access to DTG. So I believe women are at the center of it all, and um, having them from the word go is very important. If my country, for example, Kenya, NASCOP had called us for a meeting and asked us, so this is what WHO has said, this is the research, you know, they did it, they did it afterwards, but I was thinking if they did it before, then would have a mutual understanding and would meet somewhere in the middle instead of them issuing a a statement that was more of a scare. They would have issued a statement that would ensure that women feel powerful and feel in control of this and um, they have choice by the end of the day the word is choice if they had asked us from the beginning to be part of the process then they would understand why this is important to us why choice is important to us that is all when it comes to programming also not only just dtg you find that programs are being are being created are being implemented for us not by us you know and that is where we lose it because i I might see something ahead of time uh and probably change it for the better and it also gives us ownership we could not own the statement we felt if anything it was infringing our rights but if we were part of it then it was very it would have been very easy to ensure that it it uh it encompasses our wants our needs and also we own it and give it out so I think it has been hard because you were not at the center of it all. 
I'm happy that going forward, even when they're now thinking of transitioning children also to DTG, that we've been part and parcel of the process, that we're asking the questions that a mother could ask when she's she's told uh, your child who is on Ibirapin will be switched to uh, DTG should be able to to the frequently asked questions will probably have already answered the questions she would come up with and that is how programming should be yeah it goes back all the way you can trace it back mm-hmm. to 1992 mm-hmm. when women living with HIV at the International AIDS Conference took to the stage mm-hmm. and and really demanded that their their priorities and their experiences and their voices be respected mm-hmm. and included. Mm-hmm. And that was when the International Community of Women Living with HIV started. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think things have moved on um, enough since then? It's like we take sometimes um, five steps forward and then ten back. Um, I'm happy that now in each and everything they try to put uh, a voice of a woman living with HIV. They try, whether they really do it uh, to the best of their ability or to the best that they can. Uh, that's why we can't keep quiet. That's why we can't keep, uh, we can't stay silent. If we did not talk, just like how I mentioned, if we did not raise our voices and demanded for our rights with DTG, we'd probably still not be on DTG. So we we are still not where we want to go. If um, if the first uh, decision someone makes, who is probably not a woman, is to is to make a decision for her, not with her or ask her what she thinks or what she needs, then it shows we still have a long way. I am happier that um, that ICW went ahead and tried to clear the way for younger women like us now, um, where we can we can we can have this we can access these platforms uh, because after the the DTG uh, advocacy I was even able to to join the UNAIDS board through the NGO delegation and this is our global platform uh, that probably a person from uh, my community is not is not it's not it's not so they cannot readily access it so for me being able to be in such a platform and be in such a table in such a decision making table and bring, also being able to bring other young women other young people to the table so to speak their voices it shows that what you have done so far has worked though it hasn't worked to the full effect that would want to see it work so the who consolidated guideline on srhr for women living with hiv there is now a checklist to help with the implementation of that at country level. Mm -hmm. And that checklist aims to put women right at the centre of the process. I know that in Kenya there has been a process to to use that checklist. Is there anything you want to say about how important you think the WHO guidelines are for women in your country and how you think that process should move forward? The checklist is already there. When you look at it, it really speaks to the process. It speaks to the needs and wants of women and having them at the center. It's what I've been talking uh, throughout this podcast. Now, it's all a matter of just implementing it, like having it as part and parcel of all programs and all um, implementation that is being done in country, at the national level, at the community level, at the global level. So it's now just time that people really embrace it and have it as part and parcel of 
how they get to start the implementation from the word go not in between not at the end just up from the word go and people have to be willing if they really want to speak to women if they really want to and the new infections that we are seeing of, uh, of of girls and young women every day in Kenya only we, we still have a high number of women getting infected every day especially young women if you if we want to really see the end of this if we want to make the change that we keep speaking about every day then this needs to be part of a parcel of our work thank you so much Lucy This podcast is produced by the Salamander Trust with support from UNAIDS. If you'd like to know more about the issues, please go to the Salamander Trust website, www.salamandertrust.net. Thank you for listening.